and welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation that started in 2016, and it's a conversation that continues this week with my guest, Eli Winter. Eli is a ripping guitar player and multi-instrumentalist based in Chicago. Very excited to have him on the podcast this week. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time here, this is a podcast I started in 2016 as a way to interview people just like Eli. Creative folks who inspire me, and I thank you for joining us this week. Thanks to all who are subscribing to the show on your podcast player of choice. I'd like to invite you to visit our website, betteryetpod.com, and check out our YouTube page, at betteryetpod. How are we doing today? I'm drinking that Dagger Mountain coffee, daggermountain.com. Follow them on Instagram, at daggermtncoffee. My favorite coffee roaster in the U.S. of A. Right here in Valparaiso, Indiana. Let me take a moment here to plug my latest web development project, Riffin. Riffin Riffin.io is a guitar tablature sketchpad that our development team built using React and AWS serverless backend. We are all guitar players. That being we, the development team at Riffin. Um, we we grew up playing guitar taps, uh, Ultimate Guitar, 911 taps, all that kind of stuff. We built a guitar tablature sketchpad that's focused a little bit more on the editor itself. You ever try to put in a tab to a website like ultimateguitar.com? Terrible. Our editor, custom built, perfect place to sketch out your ideas. You can save them and store them securely with our AWS serverless backend. We have OAuth through Google, safe and secure. Check it out, riffin.io. How we doing, Bubba's? We're having an eventful week at Better Yet HQ. Some renovations going on upstairs. My partner is in Las Vegas for the week. Lillian Hadley and I are holding it down at home watching Ken Burns baseball. We just watched Paycheck last night with Ben Affleck and Aaron Eckhart. Later, John Woo film. It's all right. Not bad. We've had a good few weeks here. At Better Yet, too. I'm looking back at the last few weeks of guests. Madeline Link of PAX. Miranda Reinert. Evan Bernard. Bob Mayer. Two-time Grammy Award-winning author Bob Mayer. And we're continuing that trend of greatness this week with our guest, Eli Winter. Eli Winter first came into my purview with his self-titled record in 2022, which came out on Three Lobed Recordings. Three Lobed is one of the fucking coolest record labels in the world. I talk about my dad a lot on this show, and credit where credit is due. That guy has been a Three Lobed super fan for years now, and he's introduced me to so much of that world. Folks like Daniel Bachman and Michael Chapman, Bardo Pond, Six Organs of Admittance. That whole scene with people like... Riley Walker and Bill McKay running adjacent. Steve Gunn. It's guitar music, but it's a lot of improv, great sonic textures. Eli is another exciting player to come into that world. He grew up on Three Loped Recordings and followed that path, and his music has been celebrated rightfully. NYC Taper called him a generational 
talent. And there's really no hyperbole to that. This guy, Eli's making transcendental music, and he just so happens to be buds with my buds, Emma McCall and Kate Group. Eli and I had a great meet-cute at an Emma Ruth Rundle show a couple weeks ago and decided right there at Talia Hall, we gotta record an interview. And we did. And you're gonna hear it right now. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate and subscribe and come back next week. For now, here's me and Eli Winter. Eli Winter is on the show this week. Eli, welcome to Better Yet. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really excited. Dude, it's great to have you on. You coming to us from Chicago. What neighborhood do you live in in Chicago? Uh, Andersonville. Andersonville. Okay, so you're up there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you by? Like, are you by the, uh, do you know the Albion House? Up in Andersonville? Ooh. No, actually. Yeah, legendary so, little yeah. punk house up at Ooh. like Albion and Clark. Um, huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit south of there, I think. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, this is the first I've heard of it. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, we're 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 learning. This is your your adopted hometown, right? You're not from Chicago yes. originally. No, I'm from Houston, oh, Houston, Texas. That's right. You yeah. told me about that, and I t- already told our listeners about our lovely meet cute at the Emma Ruth Rundle show, which I mean, dude, the homie Emma Ruth Rundle fucking cleaning ha- cleaning up at Talia Hall. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. That was such a great show, and we got to, um, I, I thought it was really cool, because it sounded to me like there was a firework that went off during a quiet part of Emma's set, because we were they were outside celebrating Brandon Johnson, the new Chicago mayor. Yeah, yeah I remember that moment. It felt, it felt apropos. So you, were, you and I were hanging out um, before the show, you were there with... Emma McCall, who I know Emma way back from her barista days when she worked at the same coffee shop as me, showed up late though. She didn't work there very long, but <laughs> Emma, one third of uh, Department of Harmony. She also plays in Tasha's band. She's in Josephine, Harold. How'd you meet? How'd you meet Emma? I think we just met at a show. I just can't remember which. Yeah. Oh no! It would it would have been a Department of Harmony show. I think it was one that Hemlock played with Hannah Francis, and I can't remember the other person because they were a touring act from LA. Yeah. Um, and... sure, you know, we'll figure. I, I don't remember the touring act's name. <laughs> uh, sorry. You were quite excited when I saw you because you just played a show at the Space, right? Uh, Constellation. Constellation. That's right. And yeah. and but you know, similar name to space. What's up? Similar name to space. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Similar to space. Yeah. They both encompass space. Um, yeah. And you were excited about um, about the touring band that you played with that night. Do you remember the name of that touring band? Of course, Caroline. Caroline. That's right. Oh my Incredible. god! Great yeah. band from overseas. Yeah, they're from London, like an eight-piece. They play in a circle. They trade instruments. Yeah. It's a lot of, like, improvising amidst, like, structured songwriting. But the, I'm told that the 
which, which is which is sort of hard to delineate if mm-hmm. you're not like in the thick of it like actually playing the music right right because somebody at home is listening and they're thinking like yep sounds like the dead to me um and and you were you you were very excited i think because you just played a solo set which was a little irregular for you you're mostly playing when you play live you play with a band mostly right it 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 varies depending on the show but uh i'm definitely trying to play um more and more with the band as, as much as i can yeah um i think sometimes um it's not always logistically easy because my, my my bandmates are older than I am and they both um, play, you know, they both like are involved in a lot of different musical arenas. And so sometimes it's tricky to get all the schedules to align. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward. There's a show I'm playing um, in about a week and a half on April 21st at Sleeping Village. I'm going to play with them. It's... Um, Tyler Damon on drums and Sam Waxter on pedal steel. Oh my They're god! Both like Chicago heavyweights. Two Chicago yeah. heavyweights. Two, two people who also appear on your record, mm-hmm. your self-titled sure, yeah. record, Eli Winter, out on Three Lobed, and that's really how this whole um, dream scenario came together when we met at Emma Ruth Rundle because Emma McCall and I had just gone to see uh, a show at the Bohemian. National yeah. Cemetery. We saw Callie Malone. Are you familiar yeah. with the work of Callie Malone as someone who is into sonic explorations? Somewhat. I don't. I don't know it as well as I should. Um, but I, I, but I, I know she's played in Chicago a few times. And it's it's interesting that yeah that Callie comes up in in this episode because um, you know most of most of my guests on this show they're. They're rockers, right? Ooh. And um, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the structure of um, of these interviews is usually the like you know the rock and roll trajectory. Yours is a little bit different, but um, I bring up Callie Malone because she made a record called The Sacrificial Code in like 2019 that came out of kind of nowhere for me. It was a Bandcamp recommendation. And it really changed my life. And kind of combined with the three-lobed sort of guitar player stuff, it really got me interested in, like, looking into kind of avant-garde type of, uh, you know, whether it be contemporary, classical, or whatever you want to put on it. But really fucking like Callie Malone and got really excited when I, you know, started reading more about your background and your influences. Yeah. People like Paulino Laveros and shit like that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. So I was just, I got my mind melted at Callie Malone. And I was going to go down to Talia Hall, get my heart broken by Emma Ruth Rundle. And um, and Emma McCall was like, hey, three-lobed. Because I got a bumper sticker on the back of my car. She's like, my friend Eli's a three-lobed recording artist. And I said, ah, that's cool. And then we met only minutes later. And I was like... Eli, he said, yeah, Eli Winter. And I was like, oh, what's up, my man? I love your music. So crazy. Doesn't happen to you often, does it? Because most of the people that you talk to are probably like, 
you know, dorks like my dad, who I was telling you about, were like, hey, nice to meet you. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, and and we also have to shout out the fact that you were there with uh, past and future guests of, of this show, Kate Grube of Kitty Hawk, there hanging out, yeah. Emma's partner. Uh, yeah. Big fans all around. Kate was the first, like, non-dude that in- that I interviewed for this show. I was like, all right, cool. Thank <laughs> God. Someone... <laughs> so, Houston, um, w- was there a lot of music in the house when you were growing up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your folks were... Yeah. Well, what were your folks into? No, my, um... My dad was, you know... Playing a lot of like a lot of Wyndham Hill records, actually. Who's that? Um, Wyndham Hill is like this like quote unquote new age record label. Oh, okay. Um, like uh, George Winston, Alex Grassi, Michael Hedges. I think. Sure. Yeah. Um, sort of um, like ECM, but a little bit more ethereal. Uh, um, yeah. Why not? Maybe. I mean, that might go with it. Might be a bit generous, but yeah. I think generosity is not, not a bad move. Um, it's, it's, it's stuff that like really caught a, caught a, a bit of wind in the, um, eighties and nineties and such. And so there were a lot of CDs flying around. And, mm-hmm. um, excuse me. You know, I remember like listening to Dave Brubeck take five. Um, oh yeah. Being yeah. a really formative moment. Um, like, is there like a period of moments, I guess, whenever it would come on. Um, and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of Beatles and, 60s music and quote-unquote folk rock and British invasion stuff. I think that was yeah. a lot of the, um, a lot of the like basic seeds that he planted for my friend brother and I. And then my mom um, would, um, she really encouraged playing um, music like classical music. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we, we were always made to study instruments when we could. Um, piano in elementary school. We sang when we were young. Um, I played clarinet. My brother played the tuba when we were in middle school. Yeah. And um, when I went to high school, one of the appeals of my high school was that it didn't have a marching band, which is great because I hated <laughs> marching band music. And I wasn't super. Um, I didn't quite connect with um, clarinet as, as as an instrument. You know, I definitely didn't know about players like Jason Stein from Natural Information Society. I think if I yeah. if I'd known about people like that and had an appreciation for them, I might have felt a bit different about about clarinet. Um, Even but, um, when I'm like listening to like classical yeah. musicians, like I I just don't go to like the clarinet or like read music. I would say as yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I don't I don't have a strong knowledge base about um, like clarinet based read-based classical music at all but um you know going to high school without a music program it was like a small public high school in houston mm-hmm. um it sowed the seeds for just teaching myself guitar and that was around the same time that i started you know like i got ipod touch there was a hand-me-down iphone from my parents oh yeah that was the first time i started being able to really actively listen to music besides like the occasional like three song iTunes store purchase. Uh-huh. And so that was just a really um sort of formative thing too, being able to, you know, seek out whatever sort of music I wanted at any time. Yeah. And not just when it was convenient for my dad or whatever. 
Oh, sure. So that really expanded the scope of what I could listen to. So did he have, like, CDs around? Were you, like, not, I guess, just the way that you phrase that of, like, exploration yourself, it seems like it came a little bit later. Yeah. Or I guess is that, like, teenage years? Yeah. General. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, midway teenage years, I suppose. Like, end of middle school, start of high school, or so. Mm Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really like it was like a rebellious phase it was kind of just the normal like started getting into like whatever you were finding i guess yeah just just through like having the like ability to seek things out yeah yeah so what do you think like influenced you to play guitar more like what guitar players or what bands with guitars in them you mean like guitar specifically compared to like other instruments yeah um, well, I remember, um, my first year of high school, I started, um, at some point I'd started compiling some, you know, unwieldy long list of music to listen to. And I would use a random, I'd go to uh-huh. random, num- I'd go to red.org and use a random number generator to go down the list, which I oh didn't remember, God, which so was, funny. you know, silly. And like, count down until I hit a certain record and then just listen to that with uh-huh. the artist or whatever. And if I didn't, if I didn't like it, um, just move on. And, um, I don't remember if that's how I got into these bands, but, um, Pavement and Sonic Youth were really big bands. Oh, yeah. Hell and, yeah. um, I was trying to learn their songs on guitar, but then I didn't realize, you know, quite the, like, tunings they were using. I didn't, you know, have an electric guitar at the time. Um, I didn't have a proper electric guitar until after I um, moved up to, to Chicago. But um, I was trying to trying to um, you know play these songs and these alternate tunings, and the tunings really interested me because standard tuning felt like a minefield of disinterest. Mm, mm-hmm. But also, um, I wasn't. You know, like if I tried to tune my guitar that way, it would either break in half or it would just be so slack it wouldn't feel right or sound good. And yeah. I think through that, um, I sort of by chance, um, I started started listening to Nick Drake and Elliot Smith, too. Oh, hell yeah. Listen to them every night before I went to sleep. Yeah. And um, wake up in the morning wonder, why am I so sad? You know, I didn't quite... <laughs> Two two I wake up like this, uh, or like this. Uh. Yeah, those yeah. are my Nick Drake and Elliot Smith impressions. <laughs> Not in that order. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I um, you know, definitely I see really... the finger picking and just yeah. the activity in in your songs. Yeah, but there was also something that um, you know, because I I didn't want to sing. I wasn't really singing. The house was small. I shared shared a room with my twin brother. He would usually wear headphones when I was practicing. Yeah. That's fine. But, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be perceived. <laughs> and so um, I didn't really have a sense of, well, I, I just didn't quite have a, a roadmap of people who were playing, like, what at the time would have been, like, solo instrumental music that didn't come from, like, a formal background of like jazz or classical training and it didn't like have mm-hmm. like weird gimmicks that were just like used as composition like the candy rat records 
kinds of people have never really resonated with me. Who is that? The Candy Rat Records. Who's Candy? I don't know Candy, Candy Rat. Rat. I think they're based in Minneapolis. It's like a label of largely acoustic guitar instrumentalists who okay. um, like tap, and tapping becomes the compositional device. Ah, um, okay. But then it's sort of my experiences of that music is often that that's a lot of what's there. There's not necessarily that much else. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's good that it's out there, but it didn't really click for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, this, this is, you know, me speaking with a bit of hindsight, um, cause I didn't yeah. really realize, um, what sort of things I might've been looking for at the time. But, um, you know, in all honesty, a lot of the music that, started to really jump out at me as I like gradually came across it over a period of years. The music that really jumped out and felt really moving and compelling. Um, and that made me want to, that, that made me think, Oh, this is something to the effect of what I would want to be doing on my own. And a lot of it was three mode. Steve yeah. Kim, yep, Jack Rose, Daniel Bachman, yep, and 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 people who are sort of in that general Riley um, world, Riley Walker, yeah. Nathan Salzberg, Michael mm-hmm. Chapman, um, and of course, like Michael Chapman has that Thurston Moore connection, and so there's yeah. and, and I guess Jack Rose does too, and um, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of cross pollination um, over there, and in a similar way, maybe to Chicago having a lot of cross pollination in terms of like the musical backgrounds that people come from, the different oh, kinds yeah. of bands people play in. Um, like that's something that really, I think also jumped out when I was um, planning to move here for school and starting to get into Chicago music more and more thoroughly um, was realizing, Oh, there's all this, um, there's all this really great, um, like music and collaboration and yeah, and it's not community. Like, yeah, and, and it's and it's not just coming from people who are like explicitly interested in playing to a certain aesthetic or something. Mm-hmm. They're like mm-hmm. people, you know, like jazz trained people playing with people who are self taught at playing country bands, playing with you know people who improvise for their main musical practice, but like used to playing punk bands and like North, Northern Indiana yeah, or whatever. Right. Right. Um, totally. Or, or, or whatever else it is like that sort of, that sort of thing. It still feels pretty distinctive. And I think part of that's just because my sample size is pretty limited, but also it feels um, like for whatever reason, the way that sort of thing tends to happen here in Chicago is really special. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's just a matter of like hanging out, but there's so many, it's like, yeah, I want to move to Chicago and just be Doug McCombs. Like, can I just do that? <laughs> can I play him yeah. like Tortoise and 11th Day, 11th Dream Day and like all of, you know, the other cool shit that he's involved with? That is, it, it, it's really neat, I think, because it's more of a matter of like where you're hanging out than it is like your musical pedigree. It's just like, who are you? ingratiating yourself with who are you um where are you around because yeah there's tons of like you know kids that i knew from punk and hardcore 10 years ago who are now like you know 
in the improv scene, in the like jazz, um, you know, communities there. It's yeah. very inspiring. Yeah. You're rocking a hand habits shirt too. And yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, you go to a hand habits show, you see them at the hideout and it's like, mm. it's like, like who's who. And then, you know, everybody else, it's just all a part of one thing. Um, totally. You mentioned your twin brother. Oh my God. I missed that. Mm -hmm. Like the first no time worries. you said it, how, cl how close are you too, I love the idea that he's got headphones on <laughs> while you're trying to do anything. Yeah, I mean, we're actually, just in terms of distance, we're pretty close. He lives around the corner from me in Chicago, and that's nice, you know? That's awesome. We, we um, had a little Passover Seder together last week. We're breaking yeah. fast this week with Deep Dish, you know? Yeah, right yeah. on. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Every so um, often I can get him to come to a show, but a lot yeah, of times does he like, play? No, he, he's um, a listener more than a player. Yeah, <laughs> sure. At least as far as like a public facing thing, you know. Yeah. Were there so is there a big is there a big Jewish population in Houston? I did, you just mentioned Seder and Passover. It's yeah, just uh, surprisingly so. Like yeah. there, there's a local Jewish newspaper, the Jewish Herald Voice, and they list all sorts of synagogues, um, like of kind of every branch you could think of. Um, there's, you know, reconstructionist synagogues, there's reform synagogues, which is where my family would go. There's conservative and different kinds of Orthodox synagogues. And there's a mm -hmm. Jewish neighborhood called Myland in Southwest Houston. Um, Houston has these bayous, slow moving rivers mm -hmm. through town and Myland, um, runs along, um, or is bisected maybe by one of these bayous, raised by, and there's a lot of synagogues and um, kosher bakeries and shopping and things around there. Yeah. That's um, amazing. I'm not sure if there's a lot of um, like kosher business per se. I'm a little bit out of the loop, but um, there are other communities like out in West Houston, or synagogues mm -hmm. out like further west, um, as far as I can remember. But, um, yeah, this, the synagogue that I grew up going to, Congregation Emmanuel, is a bit different in that it's pretty close to downtown. It's mm -hmm. right by, like, it's right across the street from Rice University. They share a parking lot with the grad student housing yeah. at Rice. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the synagogues are less centrally located. As far as I can remember, they're more like west or southwest or such. But there's yeah. a lot of, you know, like, I had a... Um, Texas Jewish history class in seventh grade at yeah. Sunday school. Um, and we had, yeah, I mean, you know, we learned a lot about, I think that was an age where it was sort of unusual to learn about like a, without a kind of a limited scope of Jewish history. I think it felt kind of hard to appreciate. Uh -huh. um, at the same time as our teacher was fantastic. Um, yeah. But, um, in the same way as, like, Texas history, you know, I took Texas history in fourth and seventh grades in school and um, didn't really have a sense of how to appreciate it exactly. I mean, I guess part of it is, you know, it must be that there's, you know, these different curricular guidelines to follow, so you're supposed to learn about, like, the Texas state government, which, like, nobody cares about. Yeah, you're supposed the Alamo. To learn about, um, yeah, the Alamo. Like, things which are, like, not 
uninteresting, but they'd be more interesting, I feel like, presented in a different context from, like, whatever the State Board of Education has decreed. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I guess, it, I guess it was sort of odd to talk about those sorts of things because then, you know, going to high school, my high school, Carnegie um, Vanguard High School in Houston, it was just rebuilt on a new site um, the first year my brother and I started going there. Mm-hmm. Didn't pay it too much mind, um, but learned that... Um, you know, learned that not only is this school building really close to historic Friedmanstown in Houston, mm-hmm. um, it's also near some really interesting, like, Houston landmarks. Um, yeah. One of the old baseball stadiums in town from, like, the 1900s. Oh, uh, wow. Since it's been torn, That's cool. That, yeah. Yeah, right. And it's, you know, since it's been torn down, it's like a highway overpass or something. Sure. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of that sort of latent history that you just don't know about. Yeah. If you're not, I guess, actively seeking it out, which I guess Chicago feels like a contrast in that it, it seems easier to find that kind of, kind of history in books or movies or whatever. It's more clearly labeled, I would say. Yeah. 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 It's Uh more, more clearly labeled and there's more of it, I suppose, because it's been a bigger city for longer. And yeah. I can feel Texas in the music that you make, especially on like the resonant guitar yeah. type of stuff. That um, landscape is just like I listen to your music. I listen to music that's like this, and it really does like take me there. So I think that that's like one of the appeals. I think of what you do is that like you know not only using the instrumentation. Um, but it is like, I think what makes up for the lack of lyrics is just the fact that there's so much ethereal going on into it. And oftentimes, and it's oftentimes aided by the fact that your, your record covers bring me there too, but it's just like, ah, yes, a hot landscape, like vegetation and all of that stuff. It helps me. The stay away. This helps me stay out of my head, which is in a cold place. Thanks. Um, so you went to Oberlin, which is close no. to no. No, it's okay. you did not. No. Did is not. that a myth? It's a uh, myth. What? How does that happen? How does it I'm happen sure. that people say that you went to Oberlin and you didn't? What the fuck? Well, because right. I never went to Oberlin. I think. Oh yeah, that's not mm-hmm. why I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I might be wrong about that, actually. But, but yeah. No, I, I didn't go there. I applied, but I didn't go. Fucking ChatGPT told me that you did. <laughs> it's a okay. recurring segment on this podcast now, because it's going to yeah. happen in a couple weeks when you all listen to my interview with blank um, fucking ChatGPT. Wrong again. All right. So you didn't go to Oberlin, <laughs> no. um, but you started making music. Did you go to college? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where'd you go? Uh, University of Chicago. Oh, okay. There you go. I know where yeah. that is. I don't have yeah. to worry about that. University <laughs> of Chicago is close to Chicago. <laughs> You're very far south, so yes. Um, I actually love that campus. That would be when I was yeah. in 
living in Chicago, that was one of my like rites of spring was to ride from Logan Square, Humble Park, wherever I was, down that path, down to Chicago, or University of Chicago in, remind me the name of the neighborhood. Uh, Hyde Park. Hyde Park, that's right. Hyde Park and Woodlawn, yeah. Yeah. And um, great bookstore down there, too. I forget the name Senator of the Co-op? Yep. House. Yep. You great bookstores. Killer. Um, were you playing music when you were in school? Um, kind of informally, you know, I would play, I would, the first year I moved up here, I would try to play as many shows as I could. Um, and sometimes, uh, there, you know, sometimes I was like aspiring to play like a show every night of the week. And I think the closest I got was I played, uh, three shows in two weekend days or something like that. Yeah. Um, sometimes I would play a show on New Chicago campus and then go all the way across town to Albany Park um, for a different show. All the way across. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I would like try to avoid calling rides as much as I could. So I'd usually like take the train down um, sometimes to the loop, sometimes to 55th Garfield Redline and, you know, bus back. Um, But yeah, you know, I I was trying to play shows as often as I could. It was generally um, solo shows I was playing, and um, I wasn't really... um, Occasionally, I'd I'd play in duos with with friends, but Uh the first year I was in school, um, I was pretty much exclusively um, playing, like, solo acoustic sets. You know, very occasionally I'd sing, but mostly I would play instrumental music. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't study music um, as a program. And I, I took one music class my last quarter of college, um, but I didn't, um, I didn't study it in any formalized way outside of that. Um, and so I was just playing a lot of, um, playing a lot of shows trying to get my feet wet, you know, um, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of DIY spaces, a lot of, I would email anywhere that other people had played at some point and mm-hmm. ask if I could play. And then, you know, I would feel validated by the fact that I had played the same room as like Bitch and Bahas or Sophie mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even though like if I was playing um, to like a handful of people, which happened a lot, or if I was getting like a, check for $50, you know, for a long time, that was the most I'd ever been paid for a show. And I felt rich mm-hmm. because, um, I thought, you know, $50 for an hour. That's crazy. Um, as opposed to like, Oh, $50. And I've like taken the train to get here and it took me an hour and I've taken the train back and it took me an hour and I've been here for like two hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm happy to not be doing that anymore. But it was good, I think, to excuse me to play all those shows. I mean, I learned the hard way. Um, maybe maybe there isn't exactly an easy way. <laughs> excuse me, but it really, you know, like these are shows that almost exclusively I've booked on my own, um, yeah. and by and large, I continue to, even though I'd <laughs> like that to change, you know. But um, <laughs> it like, you know, that that, that I didn't really have anybody I, I had a lot of you know 
support and mentorship from dear friends, just in terms of like the sort of general process of music making or whatever. But in terms of like, you know, how do I book shows on my own or something? Or how, how, how am I supposed to do this in a way that is more, I don't know, properly managed or, um, I'm not a fan of this word, but strategized or something. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just totally 100% been doing it on my own. I've never really had um, that kind of help that wasn't coming from a record label per se. Um, mm-hmm. But um, playing, all, playing all those shows the first year I was here, I think, you know, it helped develop a foundation of like really, really, really slowly learning how to somewhat do all that stuff. Because I still feel kind of out of my gourd. Out of my gourd? Um, that's not quite, <laughs> but out of your um, element a little bit. Yeah, out of my yeah. element, you know, kind of unmoored mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's, uh, I, I, I think once uh, Envision's the type of person who is able to, like, book themselves a lot of uh, shows and the, I think the person that one envisions is not someone like you who seems to be a little bit, you know, I feel like I had to, you know, pull from the center of you to get me to tell you your last name so that I knew what the name of your music project was. But, I mean, yeah, there's, like, no other way to do it if you're going to do it on your own than just yeah. get comfortable with sending a lot of cold emails mm-hmm. and saying yes a lot. Totally, totally. Um, so, I mean, how how do you get into, like, you know, you went on tour in 2018. Um, was that just kind of the same, like, network building of, like, reaching out to people outside of the city? Pretty much. Yeah, that was a tour that I did with um, a few people, you know, including my friend Evan and my dear friend Cameron. And um, that was one where I was told, you know, you can book the whole thing. You can, we can play as many, you know, as many shows as you want, you know, within this period. But like, we need to spend four days and four nights at the Appalachian String Band Festival, otherwise known as Clifftop in Clifftop, West mm. Virginia. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, um, Cam Cameron was at the time a UH student in the music school, and um, I found out after booking a show in Greenfield, Massachusetts on August 14th, that he needed to be back in Houston on the 19th. So mm-hmm. what we did was we went from Greenfield to Columbus, to Chicago, to Nashville, to Memphis, to Houston, all back to back, which is completely insane. <laughs> like totally, totally unadvisable. Could not well, it's only 11 hours. That's we still yeah, got more so... than half of a day. Yeah. yeah. But um, it was like, you know, that was the sort of thing, you know, we were playing almost exclusively door shows or splitting like a hundred dollar guarantee, you know, just because yeah. we didn't know, you know, how to advocate for ourselves or quite what we were doing or whatever. And, um, yeah, um, you know, that was a tour where, you know, two thirds of the shows were sort of lean just in terms of the attendance that were there. Though, of course, it was not only the first time we were playing at all but also um it was the first time you know like i i still didn't have any kind of formal music releases out and mm-hmm. what had happened there um 
also was that, you know, in a third of the rooms or so, they were full, you know? Mm-hmm. We played um, Conversation in Chicago and the room was packed. I think people were spilling outside of the, oh, outside shit, of the yeah. house. I mean, we didn't, we didn't make too much money. We made like 50 bucks maybe. But, uh-huh. you know, it was, that was fine. It was like, a, it was a great time, you know, to be able to play shows like that at the same time as we would play to like three or five people in another town. Um, you know, that was okay. Because that's, that I think gave me a first impression of how commonplace that is. Mm-hmm. So if we were to take something like, you know, that short tape in 2018 that you do and compare it to your self-titled record, Um, you know, I, I guess one of the, it, like I've said, I've mostly talked to rockers on here and rockers are great because they give me some like formalism and they have lyrics so I can, you know, get into like, ah, that's what that song's about. I don't have to ask you like what kind of communication you have with the members of your band because they know how verses and choruses work. But, you know, with, with when you describe your music, improv is important. Like just being able to do something that is kind of like jazz where it's a little less formal. Like, you know, was that, has that just always been the way that you've communicated with your bands? It's like, you know, here's kind of the idea, here's the sketch and we'll just play it together. Um, that's happened sometimes, I think, but, um, I think I've always tried to make room for um, improvising between or among like composed sections of like yeah. solo songs, even. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in concerts, I think part of that is. I think part of that is just because, um, you know, people like Steve Gunn, Rally Walker, Daniel Bach, mm-hmm. and Chuck Rose would do that sort of thing. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, yeah. I um, don't think it's necessarily something that I'm doing um, in, in that kind of directed way a lot. Um, but um, the process for the last record, self-titled record, um, Tyler, Damon, and I, we rehearsed once or twice a week for about six months of these songs I demoed. Wow. And mm-hmm. then towards the end, we started playing as a trio with Sam Wagster. And then when we went to the, to the studio, we had two days to record this music, but I was still kind of getting my sea legs as far as like a recording studio setting goes. And so I was really nervous and we barely, barely, barely made it through. Um, and those at the time were the two most expensive days of my life, you know, paying for the studio, paying Cooper Crane engineer, paying Sam and Tyler and other mm-hmm. folks. And mm-hmm. um, that, um, yeah, that happened, I think, more in a way of um, most of the songs on that record, um, we'd already rehearsed um, to the effect of like they're becoming composed through, you know, those intensive rehearsals and such. And mm-hmm. um, Tyler, you know, arriving at his parts over that period and Whitney Johnson through like a few rehearsals with me for the song she plays on um, mm-hmm. doing the same and that sort of thing. I guess in relation to that tour tape, there are a couple songs 
that one way or another ended up on my second album, um, which is called Unbecoming. One of those songs is even the same recording. It's just kind of beefed up. Um, oh, and then there okay. is, um, yeah, there's just other, you know, a bit more off the beaten path, a bit less pressurized yeah. recordings. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it, it's sort of laying the foundation for that record, which in turn, you know, laid the foundation for the self-titled record. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned Unbecoming, because I really, really wanted to talk about the first track on there. Either way, oh, I would become Ash. Absolutely yeah. beautiful, stunning yeah. piece of work. Thanks. Yeah. Um, you definitely got your fucking sea legs as far as recording goes there i feel like i'm inside that guitar thank you yeah that's what you were going for that's a long one too yeah yeah it sort of fell into my lap as a 14 minute thing and then as i refined it over a couple weeks and this isn't when i was still in my dorm room so i would just like you know (laughs) play in my room and then um you know like i'd be like brushing my teeth at two in the morning or whatever and listening back three hours to the phone yeah, recording. Right, um, right. Trying, you know, trying to sort of like, you know, what what should I change? What should I, how should I revise? What should I edit? And so on. And um, it's sort of organically, because on this tour, I embarked on right before recording the record, about two months before recording the music in studio for that record. Um, on that tour, I'd taken to really stretching it out, trying to see how long I could play it for. And sometimes that would be like, you know, a 25 minute, performance and um then in, when i was getting ready to go into the studio i had to confess it a little bit because i wanted the entire song to fit on one side of the record i didn't want yeah. it to be a fade uh-huh. and um i was just pretty worried that i was going to end up playing it like a few seconds too long and um i really didn't want that but um but yeah um that's also a song that i think if i had realized it could have been a title track it might well have been a title track but um <laughs> i was really really um enamored i mean i still am enamored with the writing of this um poet and art critic tori dent mm-hmm. who's to my knowledge still one of the only people i know at least one of the only people i know of but seems to perhaps be one of the only um like cis women writing like literary work um as like someone with aids you know oh, wow. so many yeah. of those writers I'm, I'm familiar with anyway are men and she's one of the only women i know of um who was writing from that perspective and she has this essay um where she writes um about you know reconciling her desire to have a, a child and raise a family with AIDS diagnosis and the thought that she um, wouldn't be able to raise it necessarily raise a child that would also, you know, be AIDS negative. And um, she's, you know, writing about her um, experience of the first few years of having AIDS and thinking that, you know, the, the place that she was writing the essay from where she's been alive for a longer period of time that she, that she would have expected while hmm. AIDS, she would have thought she'd either have died 
um, much sooner, or it would have, you know, been cured. And um, she writes this really, you know, an amazing sentence that is to the effect of like, you know, either I would become Ash or, you know, the, you know, I would survive vivifying aspects. Yeah. Completely resuming all the dreams and potentials I assume myself capable of experiencing before I tested. Totally, yeah. And so that song, yeah, that song, you know, it, it, I wasn't thinking about it with this in mind, you know, when I wrote it, but as I struggled really mightily to figure out what on earth do I call the, these songs in this record, um, uh -huh. it, was, it was bad enough that Jordan... Um, Reyes, who runs American Dreams, one of my best friends, he had to give me an ultimatum about the title. So, and I was like, "Oh man, okay, fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work." But um, he um, doing that, you know, led me to this essay. And anyway, you know, I um, didn't You know, I didn't plan it this way, but I ended up imagining the the song as like a kind of response, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, not com it's not coming from any, like, direct personal strategy or anything. It's just, like, that's just a, a, a helpful frame. Yeah, super helpful frame. Um, and Thanks. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Pauline Oliveros, or at least the Bandcamp write-up does. Mention. Yeah, oh, now, she's I amazing. Yeah, I, I love her so much. Um, yeah. Her early electronic work is is what I'm more familiar with. Yes. Like what, um, what Pauline is like your go to? Is deep listening like part of it? For sure, it's actually um, as far as the record goes, it's accordion and voice. It's like the first one that really blew my head off. Yeah, it's totally amazing. Now, I I made so many people <laughs> try to I tried to make so many people listen to it. Yeah, I know, it's about, tough. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, there's something really neat to me about that, like, where she comes from with this, like, real high art concept of, like, what music is and that sort of academic side that's just, like, just jams it in there. It's, like, every piece, yeah. every compositional piece, it's, like, evoking something, but it's also some sort of like critique on whatever <laughs> yeah yeah and like your music coming from like wanting to be immediate rather than be you know like i don't know like academic music just in conversation with other academic music you know mm -hmm. which never absolutely really yeah 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 um I'm so happy we met at the freaking Talia Hall show. Yeah. Got to mention Patrick Shirishi too. Speaking now, who's that? He's a friend of the label mate um, who opened that show playing a Saxon voice set. That's right. And he was yeah. so, so good. Yeah. He's, he's a force. Um, so you mentioned like, you know, kind of the dream. Like one day, maybe Corey at Three Lobed is gonna put out one of my records. It did happen, and it's a self-titled record. He make you come up with that one too. Like, <laughs> he cut <all> this... <laughs> um, yeah, dude. How did you? How did it happen with Corey? I wrote him an email when I was in high school, and I 
Oh insane. my God. Yeah. Totally insane. And I, and, I, and I said something to the effect of like, yeah, you know, I've been talking a bit with, you know, a couple people yeah. on the table and I'm a huge fan and the music is really inspiring me. And I also make instrumental guitar music and maybe, you know, I wanted to see about like, you know, maybe working together on a record someday. And, you know, because, you know, which is a totally insane thing for anybody to, to just like say out of the blue. Um, and, you know, I must have also mentioned, you know, I'm in high school and maybe that was why Corey responded as he did, but, you know, he was really kind and he was like, Hey, yeah, you know, it's You know, thanks for writing. And yeah, maybe someday stay in touch, keep it up. And that was like all I needed. That's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah totally totally crazy i mean like the sheer hubris of sending an email like that i just didn't have any i just didn't think about it you know that's been a lot of yeah a lot of that i just haven't thought about and i've just done it which I you mean, know you think i should you think it'd be easy to apply that to all these other aspects of your life and that's been <laughs> pretty like oh no no no, no. Yeah, why no, would no. i <laughs> yeah yeah who needs to like do stuff without thinking about it. It's not, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, that, that record is so fun. Like right from the beginning, like for a, she's Thanks. for a, she's so blue bonnet is just like so fun. So noodly, like yeah. totally approachable, um, thing for anybody who's just into guitar music. Words are no words. Thanks. Yeah. And you got all of these cool people to be on the record too, yeah. like Cameron mm-hmm. Nowler, who you already had. Like, you made that record anticipation together. Yeah, he's a dear friend. Yeah, dude. Amazing, what's the, what's his story? Where did he come from? He's from the Southwest. He's from Yuma, but he moved to Houston area when he was, you know, around the age of like seventh grade or so. Went to school in Houston. Now is splitting time between. Nashville and North Carolina and LA, which is pretty bonkers. Yeah. But, um, he's someone who um, is really like moved and interested by like making music that considers like the sort of larger landscape of the American Southwest and like his, mm-hmm. his childhood within it. Um, more, more like as a direct thing than, than has happened for me. You know, just because Houston is not a terribly inspiring place in my experience. You know, there's a lot of concrete, there's hurricanes. Um, a lot of the time mm-hmm. I remember growing up wishing I were from somewhere else, which is usually a city that had a baseball team <laughs> with history. Um, beyond, <laughs> like, going back to, like, the 1900s or 1870s or whatever. But, um, yeah, he's... So who's your the, team now? Who's uh, Oh, the Astros. Oh, the answer is still your. Oh, okay. All right. Always, always. Just yeah. Want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they but, um, they like to cheat, that's all right with you. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. so so yeah. does just about every other team in the majors. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I, mean, the, I was the, watching the, a documentary the about the shot heard around the world. You know, fucking Bobby Thompson's home run against yeah. the, the the Dodgers. The Giants win the pennant. The fucking Giants were stealing signs that entire summer. Everybody. Yeah. Does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at him. He's exhausted from defending oh, his team. I love it. Um, 
I should you should just become a White Sox fan. It's great. You, you <laughs> your hopes just die before they start. I mean, I'll, I'll go for the White Sox over the Cubs. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I actually converted. I the Cubs gotcha, won the gotcha. World Series, and I was just like, eh, I feel like there's nothing left for me here. So yeah. Plus, I could go to a White Sox game for eight bucks. Yeah. Um. Well. Fucking so 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 what's going on? What's going on with you? You got plans for twenty twenty three? We're gonna be doing some touring. Trying to, yeah, yeah. Trying to do various, uh, various um, like U.S. tours, um, of different lengths. You know, part of part of the tricky thing is that you know I'm booking all these things on my own in the U.S. So so you know the lengths I I can't I, I have often struggled to. Um, you know, arrive at tours of the links I'd like them to be at, and I often have more off days than I would like. Um, and um, that, um, then also, you know, it's it's tricky because I'm also, you know, by and large touring without a car. So if I'm touring with Sam and Tyler as a trio, I'm renting a minivan or something. Yeah. Um, if I'm touring on my own, I'm taking the train or flying or taking the bus or occasionally hopping in the carpool with a friend or something. And, um, that means that, um, I, um, I'm sort of limited sometimes in terms of how I can route a tour. Um, but also, um, also, I don't know, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of different acts, um, touring a lot less than they seemed to use to tour um, mm-hmm. folks touring for a week or a couple of weeks at a time rather than like, you know, a month and a half doing a loop around the entire continent of the U S mm-hmm. and, um, um, you know, the goal is to do a little tour down to Texas towards the end of next month, but I'm still sorting a lot of that out. <laughs> There's, you know, doing, um, doing a, um, what is it? Um, you know, hopefully a trip or two out to the West Coast in California, um, an East Coast trio tour that's still incipient, which would be around September, I think. And then, you know, the, ideally I'd be trying to go to, I'd be going to Europe in October, November. Yeah. And then um, there's another tour that I'm hoping to do, which is a bit different. I'd be accompanying a friend reading their book on the poem. Oh. Um, but that one was still... We're still sorting out how that might even happen. Um, otherwise, we haven't been able to like rehearse it uh, exactly because we live in different cities and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that person's actually coming to town this week, so we'd be we'd be able to get the ball rolling about that a bit more. But um, you know, I have these different tour plans. And, um, you know, I'm trying to tour as much as I can. I'd really like to um, support larger acts and play different kinds of rooms and to different kinds of crowds than you know the sort of straight heads per se. But um, sure. Um, I also, um, have a lot of like recorded music that I have sort of circumstantially arrived at in the last couple months. There's, um, one that's going to have a large band that I'm just starting to, um, move the audio off of a free Pro Tools trial into <laughs> like a format that I can work with, you know, and, uh-huh. um, then I have a, that's a separate thing from like the next solo record per se. The next solo record 
through the sessions for this other thing, um, about half of it fell into my lap out of nowhere, which I totally wasn't expecting, which is a really exciting feeling. But also, it's, you know, it's pretty scary because uh, suddenly, you know, the need for figuring out the second half of the record has sort of impressed itself upon me. Um, and I have little idea of, you know, I, I have little idea of how that might happen. I haven't rehearsed a lot of that music yet. I have not a strong sense of how it might come about. Um, and then there's another record. Um, there's a really brilliant Providence musician who's a good friend, a- Asher White. She has a record coming out on Bada Bing. Do I know Excellent. Asher White? Uh, say I don't you know, know that name. Yeah. Maybe I'm making it up. <laughs> she um, had a band that did well on streaming when she was in high school. Somehow Dogleg, I think is the name. And um, I might be oh. a right. Oh. But um, she has this record coming out, and I play on a song on the record. I got so excited when I heard what she did with what I recorded that I asked her, do you want to make a record together? She said, yeah. And um, that was it. And we have, Dude, you know, yeah. different sort of sorting out to do with that. But um, I'm hoping that, you know, that will emerge as well more fully. Um, just as this year rolls on. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, tr- aspiring to tour a good deal. Also, you know, trying to do it, you know, COVID safely, whatever that even means mm-hmm. now. Um, especially because of like getting around within a car and I'm like exposing myself relatively more. Um, but um, that's the other strange thing though, is that like, you know, touring without a car is so much more affordable. I've been really surprised at how yeah. much lower my overhead has been for train tours versus car tours. Interesting. Like really, Very really surprising. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, if I'm doing a car thing, I'm, I'm, you know, you're not just paying for gas to the possibility of, you know, maintenance but also like you're paying for um tolls like for me it's you know tolls and, and just renting the dang car mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. um is just really really expensive of course i love that that's such a good hack if it's not even a hack it's how they did yeah. it in the old days damn it um yeah <laughs> how, they do it, how they do it in europe eli such a pleasure having you on yeah, the show dude you too. Come back anytime. Happy to. Thanks so much for having me.